0: Good morning. It's December 11th. A long night's worth of cold rain is moving off from New York City, and this is your Indignity Morning Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Skoka, taking a look at the day and the news. The Washington Post is reporting that Israel used white phosphorus munitions supplied by the United States in shelling civilian targets in Lebanon in October. In the Post writes, what a rights group says should be investigated as a war crime. The sticky, poisonous, and highly incendiary chemical Remains in use despite its ghastly characteristics because it's supposed to be useful for making smoke screens. But, the Post notes, it's unclear why the Israeli military fired the rounds into the evening, as smoke would have little practical use at night, and there were no Israeli troops on the Lebanese side of the border to mask with smoke screens. Residents speculated that the phosphorus was meant to displace them from the village and to clear the way for future Israeli military activity in the area. The Israeli Defense Forces simply asserted to the Washington Post that they were making smoke screens. And that despite the overnight shelling, which injured nine civilians, hospitalizing three of them, its use of white phosphorus complies and goes beyond the requirements of international law. On the front of today's New York Times, there's a news analysis piece and there's a lead news story that sit beside each other, resonating with the news frequencies of the moment. Let's just read them both at once, starting with the news analysis. For years, conservatives have struggled to persuade American voters that the left wing tilt of higher education is not only wrong but dangerous. Universities and their students, they've argued, have been increasingly clenched by suffocating ideologies, political correctness in one decade, overweening social justice in another, wokeism most recently, that shouldn't be dismissed as academic fads or a harmless zeal. Now the news. Doha, Qatar. The last point of refuge for Palestinians fleeing from Israel's relentless siege of Gaza is collapsing under the weight of tens of thousands of people seeking food and shelter, stirring fears of a potential mass displacement into Egypt, United Nations officials warned on Sunday. News analysis. The validation they have sought seemed to finally arrive this fall as campuses convulsed with protests against Israel's military campaign in Gaza and hostile, sometimes violent, rhetoric toward Jews. It came to a head last week on Capitol Hill as the presidents of three elite universities struggled to answer a question about whether calling for the genocide of Jews would violate school rules, and Republicans asserted that outbreaks of campus anti-Semitism were a symptom of the radical ideas they had long warned about. On Saturday, amid the fallout, one of those presidents, M. Elizabeth McGill of the University of Pennsylvania, resigned. Back to the news column. Pressure is mounting in the area near Gaza's southern border with Egypt, Rafah, where many Palestinians have tried to escape Israel's military campaign against Hamas, only to find more death, hunger, and desperation. News analysis. For Republicans, the rise of anti-Semitic speech and the timid responses of some academic leaders presented a long-sought opportunity to flip the political script and cast liberals as hateful and intolerant. Over to the news column. Where should I go? Tell me, where should I go? Said Raif Naji Abu Lubda, 39, a farmer who fled to the border area with his wife and six children. The family is now sleeping on the ground in the cold and cannot find food or even salty water to drink, he said. Still, Mr. Abu Lubda said, he would rather go home and die there than be forced into Egypt's Sinai Peninsula a scenario that Egypt and other Arab governments in any event have flatly rejected, fearing that if large numbers of Palestinians leave Gaza, Israel won't allow them to return. That's what's bubbling along, competing for the top of mind of the New York Times at the moment, mass carnage and suffering, or a clever ploy in the culture wars. It's true that the latter is important. The fact that right-wingers in Congress were able to throw their weight behind an outrage campaign to force the removal of at least one university president is an alarming development in our country's rightward skid, demonstrating first of all that major institutions have learned absolutely nothing in the span of a decade about how to stand up against cynical pressure, and second of all that Republicans are able to do this kind of damage while controlling only one House of Congress, and that by a narrow margin, a modest amount of political leverage that is multiplied by the willingness of an outlet like the New York Times to accept the argument on the preferred terms of the right, in this case granting in the very first sentence that higher education has a left-wing tilt, an interesting analysis after the University of Pennsylvania just forced out its president to placate wealthy donors and the business school, and treating protests against Israel's military campaign in Gaza as interchangeable with hostile, sometimes violent, rhetoric toward Jews. Exactly the kind of conflation that the House Republicans wanted when they set up the hearing to create the spectacle in question. And here I am talking about it, so it worked. Nevertheless, in addition to being a useful wild card in the culture discourse, the war remains a war. Down below the fold, the Times checks in on our embattled mayor. As troubles pile on Adams, foes begin to circle. It's mostly just a digest of the trouble that Eric Adams is already in, given a little extra spice over the weekend by a polling firm deciding to ask who people would support in a special election to replace him, and finding that disgraced former Governor Andrew Cuomo was the nominal frontrunner with 22% of support. Surely that would never inspire Andrew Cuomo to turn against a friend and ally like Eric Adams just because Cuomo could potentially gain something from it. And in other mayor news, on page A10, Rudy Giuliani goes on trial this week to determine how much he's going to have to pay in damages to the two Georgia election workers who he repeatedly defamed in the course of spreading the false claim that the election was stolen from Donald Trump in 2020. Giuliani has already been found liable in the case, so all that's left is to determine how much he's liable for. The trial, the Times writes, could not have come at a poorer moment for Mr. Giuliani, who is near the edge of financial ruin. He is being hounded for money, including by his one-time lawyer, and cannot work as a lawyer himself because of disciplinary actions against him. Later on, the story notes, a representative for Mr. Giuliani said the trial was an example of the weaponization of our justice system, adding that Mr. Giuliani had had a long career of public service and accomplishments. The Rudy Giuliani you see today is the same man who took down the mafia, cleaned up New York City, and comforted the nation following September 11th, the representative Ted Goodman said. Fact check. True. True also the same guy who incited a police race riot to get elected in the first place. Whatever else you may say about Rudy Giuliani, he is the same guy he's always been. That is the news. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Indignity to keep us going, and if all goes well, we'll talk again tomorrow.